0: Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly of God podcast. Please join us at 9, 11 a.m. at the main campus, and 11 a.m. at the Mux Corner, Remount, and North Charleston campuses. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God blesses you through doing so. Turn to someone, tell them they look great today, and then you may be seated. The time for this book, the time for the story of Ruth and uh, Naomi and Elimelech the Bible says is when the judges ruled. Now, you kind of got an idea of that period, what that period was like last week. It was kind of like the Wild, Wild West. Anybody ever see that show, The Wild, Wild West? I'm kind of dating myself now. It's an old show. I used to watch it, and it was I was a kid, and it was so cool. And that's kind of like the, 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 the period of, of the judges that's going on. It's the Wild, Wild West. In fact, the last verse of the book of Judges, Judges twenty one twenty five says, And in those days, Israel had no king. And everyone did as he saw fit. Now That verse is four times. You'll see that same reference in the book of Judges. Everyone did that which he saw fit in his own eyes. I want to tell you, it doesn't sound like too far off from America today, does it? Everyone does that which he sees fit in his own eyes. And it goes on in the passage and says a famine breaks out in the land of Israel. Possibly God's judgment because they've turned their back on God. They're all doing their own thing. They're all going their own way. But whatever caused it to come about, a famine comes upon the land. And in this land, in Israel, it is the worst possible thing that could ever happen. Because they're an agricultural society. They depend on their crops for life. So they're going to die out there. I mean, there's a famine, there's no crops, there's no water, it's tough, it's difficult. A famine comes upon the land of Israel. And you hear the story of a man by the name of Elimelech. Now, Elimelech's name means, My king is God. Isn't that a great name? Elimelech. You might want to name your child Elimelech. My king is God. Great name. And and he leaves his hometown, and the town he came from was the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. So now you're going to see some significance in where they lived in the names of these towns, the house of bread. The only problem is, in the house of bread, there is no bread. There's a famine, and there's no more bread. And they have nothing else to do, nowhere else to turn. And, and, And so Elimelech has this bright idea, why don't we move to Moab? Things are tough, there's not enough food, let's go to Moab and we will live there. Even though it meant leaving his family behind, all the generation of God fears, even though it meant leaving their land, it meant leaving all the other believers behind. Uh, You've heard the saying, the grass is always greener on the other side of the Dead Sea. And so it was in his case. It's better in Moab. The grass is greener over there. So he packs up his family and he moves. And they get to Moab and he takes two sons with him and they go along and and his wife and they go into Moab and they're going to live there. And uh, what's going to happen though is his son is going to marry, his two sons will marry Moabite women. Now, Moabite women for Jewish young men were the wrong kind of girls, they were the girls you were not to marry. And it was wrong for a faithful Israelite to marry a foreigner, especially a Moabite, idol worshipers. You don't marry those kind of girls. But that's all the girls that were around there because, by the way, they lived in Moab. Life doesn't get better in Moab. In fact, the story takes an unexpected turn. And Elimelech dies in Moab. His two sons die in Moab. And Naomi is left there alone in a foreign land with her two daughters-in-law. They're going to spend the next 10 years. They'll spend 10 years of their life in Moab. And so you have these three widows living together. Now, now some of you in here are widows, some of you are widowers. And so think about for a moment what is going on with Naomi. Think about what she must be experiencing during this time in her life. There's the loss of her relationship. Her husband is no longer beside her. They're no longer together. She's all by herself in Moab. Think about the pain and the grief she must have been going through. Not only that, but there was the loss of income. No one is there to take care of them anymore or provide for their needs. And so there's the potential of starving to death. Their lives are in great danger. Now they are three single women living in the land of Moab. And so uh, Naomi tells her daughters in laws I can't take care of you any longer, I can't protect you any longer. So it's why don't you go home to your family where you came from and I'll go back to Bethlehem to my family where I came from. And Orpah, one of the daughters-in-law, agrees and she says, I'll go home to my family, uh, but Ruth won't hear of it. And we jump down to Ruth chapter 1 and we pick the story up there. Look at verse number 16. These are some incredible poetic words. I've used them many times in wedding services and it just shows the commitment of Ruth to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. And where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it so severely if anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Somewhere along that difficult journey of those last 10 years, Ruth discovers the God of Naomi. The God of Naomi. There was something real about the one true God. And she says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to follow you. And so she goes back with Naomi and they return to Bethlehem. And the scripture is very clear. It is during this time that now it's harvest time. The famine is long gone. They're back in the cycle of sowing and reaping and harvesting. And so they return to the land of Bethlehem during harvest time. Now, even though they are going back to Bethlehem because they are two widows, they are still very vulnerable. They're open to still no one's going to take care of them. Who's going to feed them? What are they going to do for food? They're open up to victimization from others around them, from other men who might brutalize them. And Ruth is particularly vulnerable because she's a foreigner. And by the way, the Israelites and the Moabites didn't get along. So you've got a, a foreigner going back to Bethlehem in Judea. Now, the key to understanding this book, and that was just kind of a little quick backdrop. If you want to understand the book of Ruth, you've really got to understand a little bit about the book of Leviticus. Now, Leviticus is more than just a book of skin ailments and mold prevention although you will see it in there. I'll tell you how to, how to deal with mold and how to, how to deal with your waste and how to deal with skin diseases. And it's kind of one of those books that we, at times, as you read the Bible and you read it through, you might be thinking, boy, I wish I would get out of Leviticus and let me jump to something really, really exciting. So I'm going to give you just a real quick law degree this morning. I want to give you two laws that are found in the book of Leviticus that really have a dynamic impact on this book of Ruth. The first law is the law of gleanings. In Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 22, it says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. And then the verse says, I am the Lord your God. Now, this is a pretty serious law because it is signed by God himself. Leave the gleanings. Leave the corners of your field. Don't harvest all the way to the end. Don't pick the ground clean. Leave your gleanings for the poor and for the aliens. He's, he's teaching the people right out of the bat that landowners were not to be greedy. And he's also showing them the fields all belong to God. These aren't your fields. you got to do what I tell you to do with your fields. And, and you may think they're your fields, uh, but they're mine. And I want you to leave the corners, and I want you to leave the, the gleanings on the ground, and, and, and don't be greedy. The fields are mine. You're simply to manage my stuff. Sound familiar? Yeah. Ruth had been taught these laws because look at chapter 2 and verse number 2. Then Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find Favor. So somewhere along the line between Naomi and Ruth, she learns about this law of the gleanings from Leviticus. There's a second law that's going to come into play in the book of uh, Leviticus, and it's the law of the kinsman-redeemer. And, and I'm not going to read it all to you. you find it in Leviticus chapter 25, and basically it's, it's provision that the family is to take care of their relatives. And so he puts it in the law. He puts it in Leviticus, especially widows. And so God cares about the widows. He cares about what they were going through and what they were experiencing. And if you find yourself single today, I want to tell you, God has not changed. He cares about you. And whether you're divorced and you're by yourself or or you're a widow or a widower, I've got good news for you. God cares about you. And to show you how much he cares, he puts this law of the kinsman redeemer right there in the book of Leviticus. And it goes something like this. The kinsman redeemer or the next of kin was to redeem the property of their relatives. If they had lost it in some way or through some set of circumstances, he had to go and go down and buy it back. In other words, all the property was to remain in the family. It was to be their inheritance. And so if a relative had to be sold off into slavery and somehow to pay his debts, the kinsman redeemer could come along and pay off his debt and redeem the land. Not only that, but the second part of that kinsman redeemer law is they had to also provide an heir for their inheritance. So not only did you pay the debt off to take the land back, but you had to marry the widow so that through the widow she could have children and her line, her lineage would continue. She would have an heir and you could pass an heir on for the generations to come. Now, we come to a man by the name of Boaz. And I'm giving you the backdrop and then we're going to, come right to what it's saying to us today come to a man by the name of boaz boaz is not the really the kinsman redeemer he's number two in line he's not the closest relative he's the second closest relative and so he is not obligated to pay off the debt he's not obligated to take ruth back or take naomi back Uh, but something changes boaz falls in love with ruth Thus the love story begins, and you have this incredible love story going on. She saw how faithfully uh, Ruth had supported her mother-in-law, how she operated with integrity, what a wonderful lady she must have been, and it didn't hurt that she was also good-looking. And she sees this beautiful, gorgeous girl, gorgeous girl, jet lag. Anytime I mess up today, I get to blame it on jet lag. See, a beautiful girl working out in the field, and he is just enamored with her, but he he also saw how she loved her mother-in-law and what kind of character she had and and what a wonderful person she was. And so you have the story of Ruth. It's a classic story of Cinderella meets her Prince Charming. Great story. Now, that's that's the quick backdrop of it. I want to give you four lessons because Ruth is going to find herself, the Bible says under the favor of the Lord. And I think we've got to ask ourselves today, how do we position ourselves so that we also in our lives can experience the favor of the Lord? I want to give you four things. Jot these down. And uh, number one it's simply this. Get this lesson down. It is never too late to come home. It's never too late to come home. Look at chapter 1 and verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab. Accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Sometimes you find yourself in Moab. And maybe you're just out there in Moab and out of the will of God and out of the plan of God and and out of God's divine favor. And maybe you're just there for a day, but the day turns into a week. The week turns into a month. And the month turns into a year, and you wonder, God, how did I get here? How, how did I get out of your will? How did I get out of your plan? How did I get in the mess I'm in? How did my family get in such a mess? How did my finances get in such a mess? How did my marriage get in such a mess? And, and, and the months turn into years, and they go by, and you find yourself out there in that period of desolation called Moab. For Naomi and Ruth, uh, for Naomi, a whole decade goes by. And she's been in this wilderness area of her life called Moab. And the years have been hard, and she goes through tragedy, and she goes through sorrow and disappointment. Look at what Naomi said in verse 20, chapter 1. Don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara. Now there's a play on words here that's taking place. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. She is blaming God. God, why did you let this happen to me? And you see the play on words because the the name Naomi, her name meant beautiful. But she says, don't call me beautiful. Call me Mara. That That word Mara means bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Here she's blaming God again. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so she blames God. She says, I went out full. I came back empty. Although she is the one who left the promised land. But the good news is, even if you've left the promised land, Even if you've wandered away, it's never, ever too late to come back home. You can always leave Moab and come back to a place of plenty and a place of blessing and a place of harvest. You can always come back to Bethlehem. You see, God's not the problem. God's the solution. And if you'll turn back to the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll turn back to God. And as that song we sang earlier, put him back in the center of your life. can change everything Luke chapter 15 there's a story of a of a young man and he says I want my inheritance and I want it right now I want my share of the estate father give it to me now now I want you to follow track with me for here for a minute When this young man says, I want my inheritance now, the inheritance was not supposed to be given until after the death of the father. So the man is saying, in his own mind, you're as dead, you're as good as dead to me. You're dead to me. I want my money. I want my stuff. I want it now. And the Bible says he went away into a far country. He went away into Moab. We can use that analogy. He squanders wealth, the Bible says, and while living, he becomes a famine once again, comes into the land uh, where he is living, where he is staying, uh, he is broke, he is destitute. But there's an interesting verse that says, and when he came to his senses, aren't you glad uh, that there's a time when you can come back to your senses? And you know what he said? My servants have it better in my father's house uh, than I have out here in the wilderness. Moab is no place to be. It's a place of heartache and hardship. It is a place out of God's will. And when he comes back, the Bible says the father saw him a long way off. He'd been looking for him and he embraced him and he hugged him and and he threw a party like they had never had before. Listen, maybe you've been living in the land of Moab outside of the blessing and favor of God, but listen to me. Lesson number one it is never, ever too late to come back home. Lesson number two if you want to come under the favor, divine favor of the Lord, align yourself with God's word and God's ways. Align yourself with God's Word and God's ways. Now, you see, uh, there's a lot of famines recorded in the Word of God. A lot of droughts, a lot of famines, and, and those are recorded throughout Scripture. You read about it many different times throughout the Word of God. Sometimes famines and droughts come just simply for no reason. It's a part of the cycle of nature. We don't understand it. We don't know why they come, when they go, when the rains come, how it all works, how it all operates. But I can tell you, in, in our lives, there will be times when famine will come. In our lives, you will experience possibly some lean times. Some dry times. Some dry experiences. They will come, and you will go through a certain amount of heartache. But I will tell you, When those dry famine times come, you don't have to run. God can take care of you in the midst of droughts. It can be difficult, tough. All around you, but again and again, you see in Scripture, uh, Isaac, for example, there was a famine in the land, but God blessed Isaac in the midst of the famine. And God is able to do it for every single one of you. And at some point, you will move in your life, if you'll hold the course and trust in God, you'll move out of that famine period into harvest time. Harvest time will come. You do not have to run if you position yourself properly and align your life up with the Word of God. Now, jump down to, to chapter 2 and verse number 2. Let me pick it up there. It says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. There you see that word, favor. Verse number 3. And Naomi said, Go ahead, my daughter. And so she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in the field of Boaz who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now he's from the family line. Just then, everybody say that with me. Just then, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. Lord be with you. Now, that passage is highlighting a couple of things. First of all, every time it talks about Ruth, it says, Ruth the Moabitess. What we are learning from the story is God is not just the God of Israel. God is the God of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Parasites. All people, anybody can come to God. Anybody can return to God. And so what he's emphasizing in the book of Ruth, it is possible for a foreigner to find favor with God. To come under the favor of the Lord. And then you have those two words, just then. Just then. It's almost like right on time, Boaz comes. Is there anybody in here today who needs a just then right now in your life? You've been waiting on that just then. I want to tell you, the just then will come if you position yourself right to come under the favor of the Lord. Just then. At just the right time, the God of hope will come to you. Now, keep in mind here, Naomi and Ruth, though they're now back in Bethlehem, they are still very vulnerable. They have no husbands. uh, They have no sons. And so they're still left to all the dangers of starvation, victimization. And and Ruth is a foreigner. And she's working in these fields. uh, And so she could have been an object of exploitation. But providentially, listen to me, the Lord brought Ruth into a certain place at a certain time in a certain field the fields of Boaz. And through Boaz, Ruth would be taken care of and provided for. And he, he instructs his field hands, uh, allow her to glean uh, and don't lay a hand on her. So he's going to provide both food and protection. Let her glean, don't touch her, don't lay a hand on her. You see, the favor of the Lord, listen to me, is not based on how hard you work. But it's how you position yourself. If you want to know the favor of the Lord, it's not based on how hard you work. That's religion. But rather how you position yourself. Now now write that down. That's an incredible statement. Everybody write that down right now. Don't, Don't miss that one. Ruth had chosen to follow God and the laws of God and so she's going to position herself out of Moab and she's going to position herself into Bethlehem and then the just then comes on the scene and everything begins to change. Why? Because she positioned herself in a place for God's favor. Just then was the fruit of her earlier choices she had already made to go with Naomi. You see, the just then would have never happened had she not left Moab and followed Naomi. The just then didn't come at the end of a single prayer. We say a little quick prayer, and we want God to fix it all right now. When we've been living in disobedience, we haven't been following God's ways god's word and then we get in a mess and we pray and we say god where are you listen god's favor comes when you have a life of positioning yourself to come under the favor of the lord Isn't that good just then ruth had already decided to leave moab and follow naomi just then the favor of the lord is bigger than what you can do in your own eyes and so we position ourselves for god's favor and then god does the rest and he blesses us beyond our wildest imaginations. Just then. God does not promise to bless your ways. But he promises in God's word to bless his ways. And so we, when, when we align ourselves in the ways and word of God, then the just then's will follow. Just then, Boaz. Let me put it another way to you. God can't give you a kinsman redeemer as long as you're living in Moab. Let me just give a word to all you single people in here today. I'm going to meddle just a little bit. I want to give you a quotation I found by Doug Heisel. Listen to this quotation. You can't attract a Boaz when you're hanging out with bozos. Isn't that good? You can't attract a Boaz when you're hanging out with bozos. For you that uh, never heard of Bozo, he was a clown. Let me add this. You can't attract a Boaz if you're acting like a Bozo. Ruth is, is beautiful. The Bible tells us she was pretty, good-looking. And she attracts the attention of the harvesters who are around her, who's the new girl on the block, who's this beautiful lady come in into town, who's out working in our fields, and she attracts the attention of Boaz. But notice, every time Boaz talks about Ruth, he doesn't talk about her figure. He doesn't talk about her eyes. He doesn't talk about her hair. He doesn't talk about how pretty or beautiful she was. He describes her character. He talks about what a loving lady she was and how she cared for her mother in law. And you see this throughout the book of Ruth. Listen, you will never attract a man or a woman of character unless you have character yourself. Because men are women of character, they don't want to be around you. You're not going to find a man or one of character in a bar. few of you out there. You're already married. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. Preach it. Yeah. You got your wife at home. (laughs) Listen, listen, single people. Listen to me. You can have some bozos in your life because bozos need Jesus. Just don't date them. Your future is too important. Your life is too important. Make the right choices. Make the right choices. Follow God's will. Follow God's word. And what's going to happen is the divine favor of God will follow you. The just ends will take place in your life. Just then, Boaz comes on the scene. Just then, a kinsman redeemer shows up. Mm. Just then, God will help you to do what you cannot do on your own. Third lesson, lesson number three. Leverage your harvest for the benefit of others. If you want to come under God's divine favor, begin to leverage your harvest to benefit other people. I want you to turn to chapter 2. Look at verses 14 to 16. These are incredible verses here. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it in the wine vinegar. And when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain, She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to the men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And don't rebuke her. Wow. Many of you here this morning, as you look at this incredible story, you're going to find yourself identifying more with Boaz... Than you are with Naomi or Ruth. You say, why do you say that, Pastor? I'm saying, well, God's blessed you. God's been good to you. He's given you a good job. He's provided for you and your your family. He you, you you got a you got a family, you got a wife, you got kids, you're happy, you're running into soccer, you're just having a great time in life, you're at home, you've got money. God has blessed you. The message for all the Boazes out here today is learn to trust God with all your stuff. It is God's stuff. It's His. So what you need to do is use your stuff, that God, God's stuff, that He has blessed and put under your care. Use that to bless others. And as you, as Boaz's, learn how to bless others, you will position yourself under the divine favor of the Lord. That's good. Many people in Israel, remember remember the theme of this, this whole book. Many people, most people in Israel, abandoned the ways of God. They had already left God's ways behind. In fact, remember the theme of the book of Judges? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Now, every man was a generalization. He's talking about most of Israel. But aren't you thankful there are some who did not do that which was right in their own eyes? There were some men of character, a man like Boaz... Who did not follow the ways of the world, but rather chose to follow some obscure laws in the book of Leviticus that dealt with gleanings of your field. And he took God's word at face value. And when God said leave the corners and leave the gleanings, Boaz did that. And he allowed foreigners, he allowed the poor to come through and they gleaned in his fields. In fact, he went way beyond the law. I see Boaz as a generous man and he offers protection and he offers help and he offers shade and covering and he followed the law of gleaning and he also would follow the law of the kinsman redeemer i believe that just as he followed those laws god honored uh, boaz honored god with his tithes the bible talked a lot about bring your tithes into the storehouse i believe boaz was a man who tithed gave that first 10% to god for the priest and the levites and taking care of the nation of israel i believe boaz followed the law if you're going to follow a law of gleanings a small law in there you would follow the law of tithes and yet he went beyond the law of the tithe he went above and beyond that and he gave to the poor just took care of the poor boaz doesn't consume all the fields for himself he realized he has been blessed by god to be a blessing Now listen to me. I, I want to thank God for generous people at Faith Assembly of God. There are Boazes all around. Look around, there's Boazes all around you. There are generous people all over this church. Boazes. And, and 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 yet, if you're not there yet, if you haven't learned to trust in God with your finances, I want to challenge you. Get involved in God's financial plan. And when you do, you will position yourself divinely under the favor of the Lord. It works. God blesses us to be a blessing. I I did a whole series back in, in, in May called The Genius of Generosity. It is absolutely the best place for a believer to live his life because it places them under the favor of the Lord God Almighty. And God pours out his blessings on you so you can be used by God to bring God's blessings to other people on the earth. It is an incredible plan that God put all away in the word of God. Boaz, incredible example of generosity. And then look at the fourth principle. It is simply this. Never underestimate what the Lord can do through your courageous act of faith and generosity jump now to the end of the chapter i'm gonna wrap it up hang with me don't leave me now chapter 4 verse 13 so boaz took ruth and she became his wife and then he went to her the lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son and the women said to naomi praise be the lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer may he become famous throughout israel he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. And Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. Now understand the full impact of this. He said, through you, God has blessed you, God's favors come upon you, and you're going to be a blessing. The book of Ruth is going to end with a very short genealogy that's going to take us to David. Now, I want to take you back in your mind for just a moment. Remember Rahab? When I talked about Rahab in the city of Jericho, and the Bible always says Rahab the prostitute. And Rahab the prostitute from Jericho is actually the mother of Boaz. And because God brings Rahab out of a Canaanite city, and he saves her from her life of prostitution, and she becomes a part of the family of Israel, she is the mother of Boaz. And Boaz is a godly man. Ruth is called a Moabitess. Several times it talks about Ruth the Moabite. She is a pagan worshiper, an idol worshiper, but she is taken out of Moab and she is brought into the nation of Israel because she is going to choose to believe in the one true God. And out of Rahab and out of Ruth is going to come the line of the future kings. And out of that line, David is going to be born. And out of the line of David, Jesus Christ is going to come. Listen to me. When you allow yourself to be used by God, God will bless you so that you become an impact, not only in your own life, but to future generations. The blessings of God go on and on and on from generation to generation. But you've got to line yourself and position yourself so you can come under the favor of the Lord. Your love, your generosity, your kindness will not only change someone's life today, but can impact future generations. Today, some of you will be like Ruth, your first generation believers. And and you just gave your heart to the Lord. and You you didn't come from a church background, a, a Christian background, a Christian family. And you're like Ruth. You're a foreigner. But God saved you and he brought you in. And you are a first generation follower of God. And you can begin to make a change in future generations. You can break the curse of the past. Some of you need to come home. Come back out of Moab. And come under the divine favor of the Lord. I'm I'm, I'm often asked by friends of mine, and and I'm very humbled, but they they ask me, they say, why has God so richly blessed Faith Assembly of God? We have now four campuses, four different locations, about $25 million in value of those four particular properties. We have about 2,500 people worshiping God at Faith Assembly of God at one of our four locations every single Sunday morning. And, 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 and they say, why has God blessed Faith Assembly of God? I believe God's blessings has been upon this church because of the generous people who go to this church. Who Because you have a heart for missions and you have a heart to reach out to the lost. We just had our missions convention and we realize as a church body, it's not just about us, it's about taking the gospel to every corner of the earth. And as long as we bless others, as long as we give, as long as we reach out, as long as we take care of the poor and the alien, God will take care of us. It is a divine principle. Take a look at some of these pictures and you begin to get an idea of what your mission's dollars and what mission's outreach and what people who committed to go and be a part of were just at. So go ahead and roll them. This is an area we went to work at in, in, in Africa. And we're in Cape Town, South Africa. And that area is called Kalichi. And, and, and the locals know it and commonly refer to it as shantytown. And it's just a million and a half people to two million people living in absolute squalor. Tin roofs, poverty, nothing. Go to the next slide. There you see just the, the rooftops all across the land. There you see Grady talking to some of the kids on the street. We're right in the middle. This is the lot we're going to build the church on. There you see the pastor and uh, the missionary standing next to him and the missionary and Jeff are right there. And this is the pastor of this church right in the middle of Shantytown that we are going to build for him. We're starting construction and we we built the floor. We actually built it on piers because if you attach it to the ground, you have to go through all these codes and regulations. If you make it a floating mobile building, all that goes away, and so you build it up on blocks and you build your, your floor. To go from there. And there we are building the trusses, and the walls are starting to come up, and the floor is already down. And there we're on the roof, nailing the, the rafters across. And uh, another picture of David, and you get to see the town behind you. See where this church sits and where it's located. And there we are, working again on top of the roof. Now the building's going up. We're putting the siding on. We built this in a couple of days. It was pretty incredible the way the guys worked. And there you see the outside of the church, the outside of the building. There they are cleaning the church. This is one of the first churches we were able to build and have service at. Have service at that Sunday morning. And we dedicate. we built it and dedicated it that day. Okay, there we go. There's your team inside the church on that Sunday morning after the service was over. Next picture. There we are outside showing the building project and what's going on And next picture. And, and we, we, I showed this one because there's, there's a rainbow set in the sky over Shantytown. And I, I, I believe God just kind of put a rainbow there. He put a church there, put a rainbow in the sky. Give God glory and God awesome. God is awesome. He is phenomenal. When we give and when we go, God's favor and blessings will follow. It will absolutely follow. Uh, Many people left this church. They, we, were at, we were at Somerville, Faith Assembly of God, very comfortable in this building, in this church, in this facility. But there were people who answered a call who said, you know what, I'll go to North Charleston. I'll go to Remount Road. I'll work down there. I'll give out groceries. I'll give food away. I'll, I'll minister in that, in that city, in that neighborhood. I'll go there. And they heard the call and went out. And we're still sending workers to Monk's Corner as I speak today. In, in, in th- three weeks, we're going to take a special offering it's going to be the gleanings of our field. It's one day to feed the world. And it's convoy of hope that literally fields, feeds millions of kids thousands, maybe millions exaggeration thousands of kids around the world every single day have projects into relief areas. And in three weeks, we're going to challenge you. You know what? Don't eat all your field. Bring the gleanings in and give some of your field to feed the poor. And we call it One Day to Feed the World because we say, you know what, give up one day's wages and put that in the offering. And we do it right before Thanksgiving time because we're thankful for all that God has done for us. And we give one day's wages, everybody does it, and we send thousands of dollars to feed the poor around the world. Isn't that incredible? That is, that is exciting stuff. How do you get under the favor of God? Learn how to manage God's stuff. Be generous with the poor and the alien. This has been a powerful story today of the book of Ruth. Some of you guys in that room today, you identify with Naomi. It's hard, been hard for you. It's been a struggle. You've had heartache and setback and challenges and difficulties. And right now you find yourself in the land of Moab. My word to you today is it's never too late to come home. Come on home. You can come home this morning. You can come home today. You can get right with God today. Others of you will identify with Ruth. You'd want to order your life to receive his divine favor. You need a just then in your life. And it's going to come as you position yourself in obedience to the wills and ways of God. And then all of a sudden, that just then comes on the scene. He sends your kinsman redeemer. And there's many of you in here today, you will relate, relate to Boaz. And my word to you this morning is God wants to use you to make you a blessing. It's not just about coming to the church and filling a pew and going through our Sunday ritual. God wants to use you to make you a blessing to reach the next generation. Naomi was a lady who came back bitter, but God used Ruth. To change her life. And Naomi had nothing to give Ruth materially. But God uses Naomi to bless Ruth because she gave her faith away. And she taught her about the one true living God. And because of Ruth and Naomi, uh, God blessed them. And it started a chain reaction of divine blessing. Don't underestimate what God can do in your life. Begin to leverage your resources for God's purposes, God's plan, and the choices you make today will impact your fruit for tomorrow. It's harvest time. It's harvest time. Come into the place of the divine favor of the Lord. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, mighty God. Thanks for listening. For more, check out faithishere.org.